if you are just techie yep. and you like science from cryptocurrency, if you are a farmer app developer. Yeah, I, yeah, you can yeah. find ways to, you know, f- to see what a store has. I just think there's so many ways outside of the dispensary. Yeah. Because believe it or not, the dispensary may not be as profitable as people may think. It's not profitable be, at all. Right? And your startup cost is very high. It's be people very high. to get into the space, you need to start with 300 Welcome to Blue Dream Radio, the People's Cannabis Podcast, a weekly podcast giving communities of color a dose of the real deal in the cannabis industry. Learn with us, smoke with us, and join us as we bring truth to power. What up, what up, what up, Cannabis Culture? After a mini summer hiatus, we're back. This is your co-host, Ellie G. With us once again are our attorney friends from the Mary Jean Consulting Group, Michelle and Unique. In this episode, we will be speaking about multiple ways that you can approach the cannabis industry. So grab a paper and pen, take some notes. It's going to be a good one. As always, if you're a sponsor or want to show us some love, hit us up on our email at radiobluegene.com at gmail.com. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Peace. Welcome, my cannabis culture. We are on a, another episode of Blue Dream Radio. We have our correspondent lawyers, uh, Michelle Phelps hey. and Yannick Williams. Hello, everyone. They're back Hi. again. Hi. And, <laughs> and we have our co-hosts. Hi, everyone. It's Ali G. And we are back to another exciting um, conversation about how you can open your own cannabis business in New York State or in New York City, wherever you are um, in New York. So, as always, uh, let them introduce themselves, talk a little <laughs> bit about themselves and what they do and what the Mary Jane Consulting Group is doing uh, for the communities of color in New York, uh, New York City. So, go ahead, introduce yourself. I'm Michelle Fields, cannabis attorney. We are educating, we are engaging, we are involving criminalized communities in this cannabis industry, and we are all about empowerment. Sounds good. Hi, I'm Unique Williams. Yeah, I'm also a part of the Mary Jane Consulting Group. Um, We're starting Cannabis Conversations. It's kind of thing that we're going to start to bring to different communities, especially in Queens. Queens. And the Bronx. And the Bronx, because they seem to focus a lot of these cannabis conversations only in Manhattan. Or Brooklyn. And Brooklyn. (laughs) But... Just look out for Cannabis Conversations. It's going to start happening soon. Soon. And join our meetups because we're going to not only educate you, but provide you with, you know, marketing information for those that are entrepreneurs that need to create a business plan. We're going to provide you with all that information. We are going to keep you abreast of what's going on nationally as well as internationally in this industry. That sounds great. Um, and oh, as always, we start with some facts or we start with a quote. So today we're going to start with a little fact that LEG is going to read. It's from the, um, bear with me, it's from the Marijuana Business Fact Book. Um, and if you don't know about them, 
check them out. They're online. Um, we're going to put uh, um, their, their information in our bio when we put this, uh, um, this episode out. So look out for that. So um, LEG is going to read what they're saying that the cannabis industry, what the numbers are uh, and how much money this country is about to make out of the cannabis industry. So go ahead. Um, All right. So according to the marijuana business business factbook, there's an estimated uh, the estimates estimate excuse me the legal marijuana industry's uh, economic impact in the U.S. was between twenty million dollars and twenty three I'm sorry twenty billion dollars would be and twenty three billion dollars in twenty seventeen. It estimates the economic impact could reach as high as seventy seven billion by twenty twenty two. So that's right around the corner. Those numbers are comparable with the GDPs of Ohio and West Virginia, which are both a tick over $77 billion in 2018, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. And it's worth more than the GDP of nine states, including Delaware, Alaska, and both, both of the Dakotas, both North and South Dakotas. Uh, so this is, what the, this is based on information from this, um, from this fact book. What, is, what, is that, what do all those numbers mean to you? And have you actually seen that in your, in your consulting business? Hmm. Those numbers mean that there's a huge um, user economy. It means that there's a lot of money in this industry. It also means to me that we have the largest um, user industry in the world. And that's just U.S., you know. Um, so I owe myself a dollar because I, I said, mm. <laughs> I think I'm up to $2 now. But that's what it means to me. Sorry, I just had this. Okay, so I'll say this. That means to me that we have a new industry with new job creation. We're always talking about creating jobs, and we're always talking about, you know, this president created this job, and he created this many jobs and this many jobs. But here we have a real live industry that we know there's going to be jobs from transporters to banking to uh, bud tenders, just every job you can think about that exists in this space. So I think that $77 billion doesn't only just mean the revenue to me. To me, it also means the vast amount of job creation we're going to get in this new fast-paced industry, the green rush, as everybody would like to say. You're just going to have a new job market. Um, people are going to be able to bring in their intersectional skills in this market from your CPAs for tax um, to your trademark graphics designers, um, commercial real estate attorneys or realtors, um, doctors. I think I'm up to five dollars now. No, you said six. <laughs> I'm up to six. <laughs> so it's very important that we are now seeing that the unskilled in this industry, be, can become skilled. Yeah, and and they can actually develop a new skill set. Um, and where we are now trying to decrease poverty, I think this is a great opportunity to do that. I For think sure. this industry has the potential of bringing people to livable um, wages. For sure. 
So yep. I think that's seven dollars now. You know so, what I think is interesting though. I feel like it's like the professionalization of an industry that was underground for so long, right. and so there's we can see it like great and the benefits, but also how it could also leave out a bunch of people. So right now it's accessible to a certain group of people, both the illegal and the legal industry, right. um, are accessible to certain people. And once you be, it becomes legalized, then you have you know cannabis scholars. Like I think you know of I think it's. The, what is it, UC Davis um, has a whole entire class or has a whole entire course where you could focus on uh, like being a wine connoisseur and those are actually really hard classes in college right. like you learn about different kinds of wines there are so I think whereas right now it's you know you're you become like a cannabis uh, connoisseur you become an expert based on what you know from the underground or little by little as it becomes more professionalized with time as more money gets put behind that more people are going to want to throw throw their names in the hat and become you know cannabis professionals whereas before they were looked down upon to even think about that as even closer uh, a viable profession right and, and to me also it's like just to add a little bit to that michigan michigan state university right now they have uh, a major just focus on cannabis um on cannabis on the cannabis science um, for people to learn how to grow and most of the people don't know <laughs> that you can go to michigan that you can go to even in connecticut i think they have um in um i don't know if i'm wrong but i think they do um yukon they have uh, a major focus on cannabis um science right. um, but to go back to to this numbers to me it means two things it means that Somebody's been getting wealthy from way before the war on drugs. Now they're putting these numbers out because they have to because the industry is going to grow. So they have to show these numbers. So somebody has already been making money and it's not our communities. Right. And when it, come, when it gets to 2022 to $77 billion, um, is that going to be, uh, is that money going to trickle down to the actual people that's being uh, impacted negatively impacted by the war on drugs well right now you have Colorado off edibles alone in 2018 Colorado there was that was a five million dollar tax revenue for Colorado so that's just edibles that's not the flowers Hello? so you're seeing the numbers increase because of the demand. Actually, I think it should, you know, be called the CBD industry because the CBD oil industry is outgrowing the flour. You have more people using CBD oil than flour because yeah. of the wellness aspect. And I also think that the flour, the weed now, is not like our mother's and father's weed. The mm -hmm. cess, the gold. It's much stronger. And a lot of older, the older population, they don't want that type of potency. Yeah. They're looking for wellness. They're looking for something that's going to give them a better quality of life. You have more of a sophisticated user in this market. That's why you have edibles concentrate outpacing flowers. For sure. So with that, we're going to go into... What is going on right now in the movement to legalize cannabis in New York City or in New York State? It's absolutely stalled. Yes. There's no movement. No movement. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, 
there's no movement right now because like we said on the first podcast, I think a lot of the issues are let's not do what a lot of other states did, which was implement and then try to go back and put in any kind of social justice, social equity. I think the situation is one person wants one thing and there are a lot of other lobbyists saying we're not doing the same thing that other states have done. Because I think when you go back and you decide, oh, let's go back and try to fix it. At that point, it's too late. You've already put people in the industry. They're already making money. So how can you now then say, oh, a portion of whatever you make needs to go towards any kind of social justice initiatives? Yeah. I think what it is is that it's completely stalls because of the ideals of where the money's going to go, who's going to control that money, and how it gets divvied up in these neighborhoods that have been affected by the war on drugs for years, going back to when Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon was in office. So. Exactly. I, um, I also think, is that $8 now? That's like $10. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm also think count. that people need to understand Social equity is more than expungement. Social equity should be ownership. Social equity should be visibility. And ownership, I, d I don't mean just dispensaries. I mean ownership in some of these multi-state operators. Right. Ownership being on some of these boards, right. such as MedMen, mm -hmm. Acreage. Ownership means having the power um, to be impactful, to be inclus inclusive. And increasing the number of minority and Black-owned dispensaries. Into the industry. <laughs> and a lot of them think it's um, through dispensaries only. What does is, what is it take to open a dispensary? Money. If you know the process. If you know the process to <laughs> open a dispensary. <laughs> right. uh, and if there's any anything happening right now with getting the licensing uh, for even either medicinal, because New York State is not recreational, but for medicinal purposes, like what would be the process to get a, a, a medicinal um, license to, to sell? Well, unfortunately, you can't you get can't a get medicinal marijuana license right. in New York State. Those licenses are already issued. Yes. Those licenses are issued to multi-state operators yes. such as Shakira Leaf, such as your Columbus Care, yeah. Columbia Care, the botanists. Um, those are MMJs, medical marijuana dispensaries. Those companies are self-funded. They're yes. privately owned. And to get started in that space Rome. you're looking at millions of millions of millions least. of dollars because that vertical integration includes from seed to sell that mm -hmm. means that you have to have your own gross facility mm -hmm. you have to process yeah. you have to extract you have to provide everything. from seed to sell everything and that's a lot of money Right, okay. and you also have to employ a pharmacist. A on pharmacist, staff. and so you know, in New York State, the medical marijuana dispensaries do not sell flour. Right, they only sell tinctures, pills, CBD, vapes, yeah. um, sublingual, but no flour. No flour. Is there is there a legal way to get a medical marijuana license? 
legal reason or is that more of a like you know the stigma behind flour and flour uses versus the more sophisticated tincture and oil usage i think um the reason is that we are not recreational and also think the reason is that it's still illegal federally yeah, and I also think some of that too is lack of really lack of knowledge or even right. lack of wanting to get the knowledge about the flower. The flower because you know, when you hear people talk about oh there's male and female, you can only breed the female, the female is the one you want. I think that is a part of the reason why flowers also not in it because like I said, I think it's a lack of wanting to do the research. Really, you can't do the research because it's still illegal federally. Right. So the research really isn't there. So it's more of well, let's go the route we know that we maybe think is the safest route, which is the CBD oils, the tinctures because the reality of it, the stigma of the flower smoking weed and smoking marijuana is coming from the black community it's, and, and communities of color. It's not coming from anywhere else. Yeah. So I think that also Even is though a... Even white, the white community smokes so much. Right. I also think that's a part of the stigma as to why they won't sell the flower. But I also think the stigma was created by white America. Number one, I think the stigma has is and continues to be... Races. Yes. Number two. Number three. And then you have this, you know, reefer madness syndrome still going on. And they did a good job in our communities because we are still having to convince people about the wellness on the planet. Yep. You can get high or you can get healthy. Right. We was watching. We watched reefer madness with her, with LEG's mom. Yes. Yes. That was not a pretty sight. She she's old, you know. She's old school, and she <laughs> believed everything that was ever said in the right, movie. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and my mom grew up in, in Ecuador, like in the. Or she came to the states in the eighties, so from right. the states in the eighties to from from Ecuador to the United States in the eighties. So imagine, like, she came in the middle of like the, the, the whole drug hysteria, war, like all this stuff is happening. Like, don't ask my mom about about socialism and communism because she'll tell you how evil it is, right? So it's, right. there are all these very, very clear ideas and when it comes to drugs, drugs, the right. stigma behind drugs is both a racist stigma, but it's also a class stigma as well. So, very classic. You know, certain, yes. certain drugs are, 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 are okay um, and the way you consume it is okay as well. So like, even being able to be like a white hippie also assumes a certain level of wealth yes. that you're able to still consume flour because you were at Woodstock, I remember the good old days of Woodstock, right. you know? Similar to crack and, crack and yeah. cocaine. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You took it right out of my head. It <laughs> exactly. made a difference in the sentencing exactly. guidelines. You know? you know? So that's what I think. I think it's... I think once research is done to show really like this plant is not what people make it out yeah. to be, I, I really think we can really make some strides with the flower. Instead because some, I mean, the, also the thing too is some people rather the edibles rather mm -hmm. because of the smoke, right? But there are some yeah. people that smoke cigarettes and this may be their only alternative to getting off of cigarette smoke, you know, sure. because they just need the feeling of smoking exactly. something. And mm -hmm. you pick up cigarettes and you're like, oh, I'd really actually rather you smoke some marijuana <laughs> right. over yeah. cigarettes. And I think... That's that's also another set of you know a, another class of people that 
you know, want to quit smoking but can't because they need to have the feeling of being able to smoke. And I think if the flower gets legalized, I do think cigarette smoke's going to go down a lot. People and then Marlboros and the and the and but the they Newports, already they're, they're already coming in yeah, the industry. All they're already yeah. here and and just let me say that you know the U.S. already has the patent on marijuana patent on mm -hmm. certain you know I don't know I don't remember the patent number but it's already a patent. That's okay. number one. Number two. Can you can you explain what's a patent for the listeners that don't know? What yeah, that is? a patent is if you create a like an invention, mm -hmm. you and that invention is very unique. That invention is so unique to the point where it now becomes a proprietary interest. That is a patent. Okay, um, so. Well, she gets back. Right. Okay. She, we lost. We lost the first second. Yeah. For me, Sorry. I think I try to encourage our communities to think of this. I rather see dispensaries in our community, wine shops, or you know, smoke shops. Smoke shops. I rather see exactly. I wine shops. I rather see wellness. I don't want to see, you know, methadone centers. Uh -huh. I don't want to see well, people. Well, you know when we see methadone centers. Yes, but I don't want to see people, you know, in a dope sleep anymore. Mm -hmm. When That's they can sure. get well. Yes. I think this plant has the potential of helping those to really transition from heart drugs to a, a plant that is well. That helps them, you know, Really get off heroin, coke, reduce you know, alcohol, <laughs> caffeine, all of that. Yeah, for sure. So, yes. my, so, I guess, in my mind, because you all have been in this industry, from a legal perspective, what are options that you would see? What are actual viable options for people of color in this industry that, that they can actually look, look towards that, that perhaps they might not see as accessible to them? I think um, our people need to start thinking about the ancillary yeah. areas of this industry. I think head. they need to start thinking about, you know, how do I become a transporter? How do I now open my own CBD oil space or some type of wellness center? I also think that we need to start thinking about growing the plant but not so much you know dispensary dispensary dispensaries right if you're a lawyer if you're a doctor if you are a retired correction officer or police officer start yeah. thinking about security mm -hmm. you're already bonded you're already licensed you have pretty much the requirements security. that you would need yes the firearm you know, you have it for life because you're a retired corrections or police right. officer. Right, and that's so. a huge union. Yeah. That's a powerful union. If you're a graphic artist, think about packaging um, and really understanding that in this industry, you have to have child-proof packaging. Mm -hmm. right. The packaging cannot be an attractive nuisance. How do you help others meet the guidelines of the FDA? Right. If you are... If you are just 
techie yeah. and you like science from cryptocurrency if you are a farmer app developer yeah I, yeah you can yeah. find ways to you know f- to see what a store has i just think there's so many ways outside it's of like, the dispensary yeah. because believe it or not the dispensary may not be as profitable as people may think it's not profitable be, at all right and your startup cost is very high people very high. to get into the space you need to start with 300,000 to two 2.5 million. Wow. That's the startup. Nobody yeah. in our hood got that type of money. Um, we do. We do. We just don't we do. tap that I mean, attention. but not one person. I mean, that's a collective. Yeah, but, but look at the multi-state operators. It's just not one person. It's a collective. That got together and started Midman. It wasn't just exactly. one person. They put their money together. They so put their money We're going to start this business and get it going. Yes. So, I have, um, so what is the difference between opening a CBD store and a, and a dispensary store? What are the, the different guidelines? Well, the CBD oil, CBD oil hemp um, derived is legal. It's now the FDA has, has given the guidance. So in your CBD store, you're going to have CBD oil that's hemp derived. So that could be your tinctures. That can be your hemp honey. It could CBD. be lotions. It could be any kind of your, beauty products. Your salves. It topicals. You can be. It can be your gummy bears. For me, I don't take gummy bears because of the gelatin has its pork. So there are vegetarian gummy bears. So there's a lot. But even like know. just her saying vegetarian gummy bears. Think about it. People that are chefs. People that right. are bakers. <laughs> people that you know make candy. People yeah, that are good, People that are good with their hands. People like. Think about the ancillary business because you could be the only baker that makes uh, these these cookies. cakes, cookies, these you know gelatin infused gummy bears, and this big company is coming directly to you. Say, hey, we need this batch. You get investors to come in and help. You know what I mean? I just right. think, I just think we have to, as a people, think about that the dispensary is not the end-all, be-all. Let's right. think bigger and outside right. of the dispensary. Let's think about what are people really making money on nowadays? Are wine shops and liquor stores really making that much money? I don't know. Because, you know, you have people that make those, like, unique moscatos yeah. and things <laughs> like that. And you're like, oh, this. let me try this. Just right. because I look at this, this thing, it looks right. really good. Let me right. try it. So I think, like Michelle said, if you're not willing to do the ancillary stuff and just use your talent, you know, right. you're talented at something. You know, as a hairdresser, you went to cosmetology school, so you know how to do the sciences and mix certain things, what could work a certain way or not. Hair products. You know, hair yeah. products. Like, there's so many so many things that we can go into and, and not just be stuck on the dispensary side of the industry. The industry. And it's about quality as well. And people need to understand that quality quality control is necessary yes, in this industry. That's that. number one. There's a lot of adulterated product in the industry, which is hurting the industry. That's why you have constant propaganda in regards to you know cannabis or CBD oil affecting people's liver, which is not true, or it's a gateway to more so illicit, which is not true. Um, so it's important if you are going to come into the space, 
um, especially in the edible, I think I'm up to like twelve dollars now. Yeah, I got you. No worries. Um, so think about microdosing. What kind of strand you're going to use in your cooking? In I mean, it's very important because edibles are can Big. be very like, potent. Like if you really even think about it, my Big. mind is spinning as far as. What can we do? Like, you can have cannabis brunches. You know, like, there's so many things and so many ways to just avoid, you know, the dispensary and avoid falling into that trap. Because a lot of these dispensaries, they'll open and they don't even break even the first year. You got to be able to tough it out. You got to be able, it's a long-term thing that you have it's to tough out. It's a long-term investment and you are going to have to be able to absorb that risk. Right. If you are risk averse, I wouldn't do a dispensary. This is not for you. This is not the industry for you. <laughs> right. That's so, what are, so we're talking about risk. What are other kinds of obstacles that you see either for yourselves or even for other people of color in this industry as they try to develop develop themselves some more or try to develop a, a business? Well, some of the barriers that we are aware of in other jurisdictions are one, if you have outstanding student loans, yeah. that's a barrier yeah. to a license. If you have... Okay, hold on, hold on. Talk a little bit about that as someone who has tremendous student loan debt. And I do too, that, so I, I, would be, I would be effectively excluded from that industry because I have student loans. Right. So... If you are to go out to Colorado, and I've spoken to people in Colorado of color, one of the barriers is that you cannot have outstanding student loans. That's number one. Number two, the second barrier is that you cannot have any prior drug convictions. Right. Federal, any drug convictions. Even if they're Anything. In certain jurisdictions. Certain jurisdictions are different than others because some right. of the jurisdictions actually moved for the expungements. Right. Going back to the right. 70s. And in some jurisdictions, it is requirement that you are a part of social equity that you have a prior conviction or someone in your someone family has your, a prior or conviction. Or someone on your team for, or for some, cannabis. someone some way was affected right. by... But not drugs. the person itself that been affected can go and open it. They could. Yeah, if they, they could in certain jurisdictions. In okay. certain jurisdictions like California, like Massachusetts. And I, and I think what I say is New York was one of the states that they wanted to make sure that persons that are affected by it are not locked out because they have the prior convictions. So right. I just want to say that for New York State. Right. Although right. it's still not legal. Right. <laughs> now... And this is for hemp as well as right. cannabis. In North Carolina, if you have a prior drug conviction, you're done. You're barred from getting your yeah. hemp license. That's crazy. Like, I'm affected by it. Now you're going to kick me out. Like, yeah. I'm in jail right now. I spent this many years in jail, and I see this, this person making millions for the same thing that I went to jail for yes. for 10 years. So let me just tell you... The states that don't have a social equity program as okay. a part of their cannabis industry, recreational or medicinal. medicinal. You have Colorado, no social equity. Connecticut, no social equity. Washington State, no social equity. Um, New York, Minnesota, Nevada, Oregon, Arkansas, Florida, 
Maine, North Dakota, West Virginia, Oklahoma. It's Georgia. Virginia is a lot. So you said out of the 30, what is it, 37? Yes. 37 states, only three has social equity. But you know, I I also think that for them, and I'm not trying to sound, (laughs) you know, facetious or anything, but I think for them, they said, well, we've expunged your records going back to the 70s, so that's enough. To me, I think they believe that we have done right by our people by going back all the way to 1970 and expunging from seven from 1970 on now. Now, yeah. we as a people that have been affected by it know but, that that's not but let's make equity. But let's make the, 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 the difference. It's only for small positions. The people that's doing, that have big positions, that have a large amount. It depends. They, they, they what right Some of them, what they did with some of them was you could come in and we would look over your case and they would drop it to a misdemeanor. Instead of getting rid of it altogether, it would go from felony to a misdemeanor. So you wouldn't have a felony marijuana conviction on your record. But once again, it's still not social equity. But no. I, I, although, you know, Michelle says that they don't have social equity, I believe in my heart of hearts that they believe that by expunging these records, that is social that's justice. I do. Only, that's social justice. And, and I believe the, that. The crazy thing is that there's only seven states where it established social equity provisions. But I believe now, that. I really believe that in my heart of hearts. Those, that that's their social right. justice. Slash, right. Well, we got rid of our records, so what else do you want? <laughs> and, and looking at the statistics... The established sales in 2022 for markets that legalized medical and or adult use cannabis in 2016 or after this, after it sits at $12.7 billion for those with social equity provisions. So having a social equity provision is profitable. That's number one. It's equitable. Mm-hmm. That's number two. And those without, they're looking at four one. billion in regards to. But I don't think they kind of understand how social equity kind of trickles down. Because if you think about it, you don't have people on the corners doing the things that you say, oh, they're committing crimes and things like that. Money's going back into the neighborhoods. The schools are getting money. The children have. The children have what they need to go back to school to succeed. Now they're saying, oh, I can go to college. You know, my high school education was really great. Yeah, even though I went to an inner city school, you know, we weren't suspending kids for 90 days, 120 days. I just think it makes for an effective and effective society when you have that money going back into the places that you guys are the ones that say we need we need the help. We really don't need the help. We just need you guys to fund it the way you guys fund all these other initiatives and all these other initiatives. Right. We we have successful people. We yeah. have a lot of successful people. Right. A lot of people that have, that have that have entrepreneurship minded. Uh, right, they folks. are. We all are. And then I think also too is because we're not in school. It's the same basic curriculum, and it's like there are people here with creative juices flowing that need to take the classes that, you know, takes out the creativity. The business part of it. Right? To understand the business part of it. Um, I think that social equity means that the tax revenues go go back into the community, especially to assist in those underperforming schools in black and brown communities. I think you have an opportunity to, for a beautification, 
um, increasing job employment training in our communities, also bringing about ownership, participatory type of community. That's what I think social equity is. For sure. So, um, how you, if the listeners, how you consult, like give us, if they want to reach out to you and they need help, somebody that's getting into the business, right. can you break it down? How would you help them? Um, getting to the, the the business? Well, it depends on which jurisdiction they're going into. Number one, we would bring them in, the whole team. This is yes. a very transparent industry. You cannot have any silent partners. So we would determine what is it that you want to go into. Do you have an interest in your hemp license or dispensary license? Are you looking to become a processor or producer what is it that I mean it has to be a meetup it has to be a discussion depending on which jurisdiction you're going into so we provide pre-licensing consultation we actually help those that are interested as entrepreneurs navigate the compliance and regulatory landscape mm -hmm. number three Helping them to get their team together from your trademark, from your water attorney, your tax attorney, your commercial real estate attorney to be a part of your team. You're going to have to have a person on your team that is an architect to help you with your build out. That's before you even start. That's the pre-planning um, stage of the licensing just got to make sure all the ducks are in a row right. because people don't realize us as attorneys there's risk for us mm. and the risks for us become there is no precedent that's really out there for us to follow so you're really acting on good faith and you're acting based on how you would act in any uh, in your regular course of business and the, in how you regularly do business so it's also a big risk for us if there's 10 of y'all that's on the team, but only nine of y'all show up. We can't yeah. sit down and meet. Yeah. We can't. Right. Because we're not only putting you at risk, we're putting our licenses, licenses at, at risk. For sure. And then we are constantly operating under the Controlled Substance Act. So our job and our mission is to keep our clients compliant because the more compliant you are, the more money you're going to make because you still have that Controlled Substance Act. If the feds decide to come and shut down your whole, seize your whole operation from seed to sell, can you absorb that risk? Right. If you are in violation of the Controlled Substance Act, then that means that your attorney could potentially be a witness against you. Yes. Because we're going to protect our yeah, license for sure. by yes, all costs. because now that's a part of a criminal organization. Yeah, and exactly. I want nothing to be a part of. And so we try to, I mean, we try to really, you know, encourage people to be transparent. transparent. If you are a regulatory owner, that means that you own 20% more of the company that's going into either dispensary, cultivation, processing. You have to disclose that. Even if you're a financial interest owner, if you're a butt tender, if you are, you know, working in the flower room, you are a financial interest owner. You have that has to be disclosed as well. And then we don't want to run afoul of FINRA, um, SARS, 
any um, banking, you know, laws, because then you're, you're, you, you start talking about money laundering. Right. For sure. So there's a lot of, you know, and people just think, you know, you don't need a lawyer in this industry. You do. You do. I need a lawyer, when <laughs> it, even for my own business. Especially if you're trying to, like, you know, trademark and do all these different right. things. You need, right. You need, like, I, I, looked, navigate. I looked at the trademark application, like, I was, I can't do this. <laughs> like, I yeah. can't fill this up. I need to pay somebody and, and people, to help me fill this right. out because it's hard to fill out. And this industry is not like your t- traditional industry. You cannot, you don't have the traditional marketing ability. Number one, you can't do your traditional marketing. Traditional in packaging. I mean, Google don't um, don't mess with people that that's in the cannabis industry. No. I mean, I traditional said, banking. I sent my podcast intro and all that stuff to the PF to the Google PRX. No. They. Exactly. <laughs> no, they want nothing to do with it. Exactly. They want nothing to do with that. But it's not that they don't want anything to do with it. They understand that the they still have right. to FTC regulation. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And actually, the banks don't, they do want to get into this industry, but a lot of They're them don't want to do place. with SAR, yeah. suspicious activity report. That's a lot of paperwork. Yes. That's a lot of compliance And then when you issue. come in with a certain amount right. of money, they have to fill it out. Oh, in cash. Yeah. yeah. And I'm looking at you like, all right, we got to fill it out. We don't have a choice. And then that alerts the feds once yeah. they, suspicious uh, activity once they fill out the suspicious activity report, the feds is now alerted. So now the feds come in, they're like, oh, okay, we got to figure out what's going on because right. this might be a criminal enterprise. And you can, you know. People need to understand that you really do need an attorney for these things because people don't realize that America is very sue happy. They're right. very sue happy. So right now, everybody knows about RICO, right? right. You yeah, know yeah, about yeah. RICO, but you know about the, the criminal, criminal part of RICO. RICO right. You don't know that there's a civil arm to RICO right. that a lot of people are now suing these marijuana companies under for damages. Because mm-hmm. under the civil RICO, you get damages. Okay. So those are some things that you people have to don't think. Know. So people let me explain that. that. If you are a grower, yeah, yeah. and say if you are growing in, next let's door. see, next door across the street, or in, you know, Washington Heights, and your neighbor decides that the smell is a from the weed has somehow affected their property value or their quality of life is injurious to their health, they can take you into federal court un- under the RICO Civil, Civil Act, Act yeah. and sue you. Now, it was the a question to us. is. If, if, if they're going to be successful. From the case law we, we see, have yeah. read, they haven't been successful. Okay, but it only takes, takes one <laughs> for yeah. it to be successful. Exactly. And then precedent is now set. It's set. But under the federal RICO, they, there are certain elements that you have yes. to meet. So what are those elements? I don't remember right now. Right. Um, one... Oh, I think it has to be, there has to be a property value. Has to it has to decrease your property value. Decre- it had, I mean, significantly. Significantly. Under the federal RICO civil, oh, you man. are, you get attorney dam- um, damages. You get, a, you get fees. You get fees. So you have to s- show that the growth facility has affected your property value. 
And a lot of courts have seen that these marijuana farms increase property value. Yeah. But that's because so, of because of the amount of money that is worth. Right. No, no, it's just the fact that it's beneficial. People need to understand regulatory means that you are protecting the environment. Yeah. You do not now now because a lot of jurisdictions is unregulated, it's harmful to the environment. So that's what we're dealing with. Okay, so let's say I'm an immigrant. Okay. And I get cut up and now they want to deport me because of small possessions of oh I had a, a possession of cannabis. The expungement includes them, that's one. And then as a person of, of as an immigrant community, if I'm coming to you to open a license, what would you tell me? Or to, to get into the industry, what would you tell me as an immigrant? I need to know what your status is. Yeah, what is your status? What is your status? Are you a permanent resident? Are you undocumented? Are you on a work permit? Are you a U.S. citizen? Because it is a different standard. For right. So can you explain each one for U.S. For citizen, Latino you'll be fine. Immigrant. U.S. citizen. Because you're a citizen, you're, but you're, you're still under the control substances. Right. Act. Permanent resident, this you're gonna, make it's going to be problematic. It's mm. going to be deportable. Right. Okay. Because under even if it's legal, under it, it's still illegal federally, and immigration is federal law. Right. Okay. You and may not be de deported, but you may be excluded from naturalization. Right. Because working in the industry, according to your your president, means that you are not. You know, not your president. You don't meet the character and fitness. But also, I do to be think a US this citizen. will make you deportable because they consider it. Drugs. It's not marijuana separate right. from coke, separate from heroin. Right. It's, it's a, a drug. One. So it's a schedule one. You're getting deported. It's schedule one. You're you're out of here. And but you, and you do jail time and then you you out of here. Yeah, they dip you or you do voluntary deport. Sometimes you have to go through deportation proceedings or you do voluntary deportation. You, I mean, the immi federal immigration system is completely broken. It's it, it's, it's very it's statutory and it's very it's very like, conservative. Yeah. They're not really. The arrest alone for possession, depending on if it's over 30, 28 grams. Well, arrest alone is enough. You to. are good. But if it's more, you two ounces is. Mm. That's why it's, it's a lot issue. of times, even with us in this job, we're telling our clients, do not travel. Don't travel. Because what happens, you buck up the right border agent. They're like, oh, I got me somebody that I can deport. Or I can put in, you know, customs proceedings. So it's just, if I was an LPR, undocumented work permit, I would just stay away from the industry for right now. Right. Until it becomes legal federally. And also think, if you're adjusting, when you go for your hearing, your counselor process, the tricky question they ask, do you smoke? Have you ever smoked? But they don't specify. Exactly. So if you don't know. So how does expungement work for someone who's a legal a legal permanent resident and they're not getting deported because of small possession? Well, do they get a, do they get their records expunged right. as well? well if they're no. in the process of being deported because okay. of the small possession. At the end of the month, the decriminalization act and that's going to be on next um, podcast but <laughs> right now 
<laughs> the expungement and the case selling. On uh, New York, we do case selling. We do. But the new decriminalization law um, uses expungement. Expungement, when it it's enforced or goes into effect at the end of the month, means that your conviction, your fingerprints are destroyed. Your conviction is dismissed and vacated. It's like it never happened. It, it acts as a non-conviction. You have to have a certificate of disposition showing total dismissal. And if you are LPR and if you're moving for adjustment on naturalization, you should keep that documentation because you have to make it a part of your petition. That's number one. Number two, that expungement could possibly act as mitigation in regards to... Um, Crimes of moral turpitude if they look at it like that. Um, That's number three. Yes. So that expungement is going to help out a lot of people. And the expungement is going to be grandfathered. So they're going back prior to the enactment of this year, they're going back to convictions, um, misdemeanor marijuana convictions um, after 2019. Oh, before. But people that are going for the hearings, be very careful. Listen when they ask you, do you smoke, if you ever smoked. And they're not talking about cigarettes. They want you to admit that you know, you if smoke you smoke, weed. yeah, yeah, I smoke weed and what? That is gross for denial. You're done. Yes. And done. done. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. You had so a people question? People need to be aware of that. Yeah. We didn't do this the last time. Right. I guess we didn't do that, so I'm no, going to ask didn't. you this. You what? Did? No, we didn't do this last We didn't time. do this the last time. Um, just a, a few things just to have some fun. Have you ever smoked? And if you have, what was your experience like for the first time? So. I smoked the first time when I was maybe 15. And I was high as a kite. It was during basketball season. <laughs> and we used to... Go- no lie, I just had a moment in time where I just, my friends, you know, it, it's high school though. Um, and we used to smoke every day after basketball practice. So I would go to basketball practice, go home and smoke. And come in the next day wondering, why can't I breathe and why can't I make it through, why can't I, I make it through practice? And I was like, oh yeah. That's so when, you know, when we got serious because I was on varsity at the time. When we got see- when it was seriously coming towards the season, I kind of had to cut it back. <laughs> but it was it was amazing. It was hilarious. We laughed the entire night. Like I've never been so high <laughs> ever. But I, I I would never trade it for anything. I would do it again. If I could do it again, I would do it again. Yes. For sure. Well, I grew up with parents who smoked. Okay. Not in front of me, but my dad. Um, I used to find his little film film canisters, the ones with the black top and the gray um, container. Yeah. Um, with weed. So he always told me, like, if you want to know about anything weed coming, you know, talk to me. So I always, I will always find his stash. Okay. In the car, whatever, bread box, and we. My dad owned the restaurant at the time. And he had this bread box, and I was just a curious kid, and just looking in the bread box, and he, it probably was like a pound of weed, the wow. good stuff. And I just never touched it. Um, I know for a fact my mom and my dad both smoked cess, 
and go. That's number one and two. Number three, all my friends, I'm 420 friendly. I'm a CBD or connoisseur. Okay. But my friends from my roster friends, from my Jamaican friends, it was to them it was all meditation. So I always respected it. Now, as a professional and in my practice, I represent you know the criminalized. My first trial was DUI impaired by marijuana. But there's no. There's and no we won, and up. it's it was it was acquittal. Cross examined the chemist, and his his own testimony helped my client get acquittal because you can't determine you can determine. impairment from the yeah. level TSC in someone's um, bloodstream. And so, that's one thing that cops are doing now. I just read an article that they are. Um, Asking for money so they can't create some type of. You're not. You, you, uh, you can't because even something. with even with the toxicologist report, you're not going to be able to tell this jury when my client um, ingested how how much he ingested. Yeah. Because it takes thirty days to sixty to clear your system. What type of you know, was it OG Kush? Was it chocolate? Was it concentrate? You know, you can't, and you can kill them on cross-examination with all that. And you need to have smokers on your jury, you know? And I remember I, I questioned this cop because they always like, you know, the smell is probable cause. And I'm like, what did it smell like? Because... Do you know what the smell <laughs> right, because you have turpins. That's yeah. the smell that gives your butt the smell. Was it? Did it smell like lemon? Did it smell like forest green? What is it? What's the smell? Did it smell like burn? Because right, right. Like Chur- maybe he's and, smoking the and he was just like, oh, it just smell like weed. What? What does your training consist of? <laughs> oh, boot camp. We had train. Really? How long? Just smoked a joint. That's what right. You exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you can have fun with it. But seriously, um, that's how I, I'm in this industry. I'm kind of curious. I'm a kind of geek. I read, sleep, you know, eat, breathe, this, breathe. You know, I'm traveling um, to international kind of expo in the next couple okay. months from September to South Africa. And I'm bringing this, the information that I learned in these spaces that are void of people of like us. I'm bringing it back to our Shout communities. Exactly. <laughs> and so that's why we're starting the Cannabis Conversation. Because I want our people to know, our community to know what's going on. The national level as well as the international level, current events what the movement looks like. What is this green rush? Wow. Um, so, can I say, sorry, can I just yes. say something? I think along the way with that, it's a green rush, monet- like the money, the monetary gains, but it's yes. also like a huge culture shift. Yes. So like even you saying like, on your on your jury, you need weed smokers, um, or even like someone saying, oh, I smell the weed. Well, how do you know what weed smells like? It's like, you know, yes. there are things that we assume, we think we know, right. and then, you know, actually having the conversations of saying like, no, don't be ashamed. We need you because exactly. you know exactly how to, how to rip apart uh, an argument that makes no sense for right. someone to be left off, for someone to be able to be uh, exonerated potentially. Right. On that last, on that trial, I had people who, you know, were moderate drinkers. And so 
I try to make the comparison, like, what what does intoxication look like yeah. to you? Um, and I remember I had a couple people from Bayside that hung out on Bell Boulevard on the weekends. And so one of my scenarios, now, what, you know, you go to a lot of the bars on Bell, what does it look like when someone is intoxicated? And just have them to talk about how does intoxication look? Yeah. And and, and and how and then, people and, and how people look when they are high. Like and you alcohol, don't even know how first they of act. all, alcohol intoxication and we is totally, totally different. different. You know, people get wrong, strong, and this bold intoxication. I would rather have. I would. I would rather be in a room full of stoners than alcohol <laughs> drinkers. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. I'm sorry. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's and they don't never die. Depending on what is they it, get to a car accident, they don't die. It, it, exactly. They never die. Exactly. Ever. I mean, there has never exactly. been proven um, any death over. Exactly, over but I could tell you the number of my clients that have OD'd during my practice. Mm-hmm. I've had quite a few of those. A few. And people crashing because they're drunk. Few. I've or, had or high. Mm-hmm. On I've other had drugs. five, maybe six opiate deaths. Mm. of clients mm. now eat but also what I've learned now thinking about a lot of my clients that are part of the drug court that are my mental health and drug clients when I sit back and think about it and why they didn't take their standard pharmaceutical drugs a lot of them self-medicated and they self-medicated with cannabis now I'm understanding the reasoning why, mm-hmm. because it Tony the medication Brown, those makes medications it kind of tonic. That you, those medications that you take are worse, right, on your body than if you were just to smoke a natural herb or right. even do the right. tinctures and th- the side effects to some of these medications are devilish. So I finally made that connection. Like wow, all of my clients, most of them in drug court, self-medicated with weed, all of them. And a lot of them told me because with the standard pharmacy drugs, you know, it made them suicidal. Well, a lot of those commercials, it's like, oh, take this pill for for um, depression, but it, you might kill it, yourself. Exactly. That's one of the side effects. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so now I made that connection and I'm, you know, strong proponent. So, um, so how does your family feel about you moving from the... The legal aid society to the cannabis industry. How does your family? Well, find that? I mean, they think I represent criminals, so <laughs> it's really no different. They have no feelings towards it. You know, my aunt's a parole officer, so it's kind of like clashing. Yeah, because I don't agree with the things she says, and she doesn't agree with me. But they don't. They're supportive, my, and my family's pretty much been always supportive of. The things I choose to do from leaving for college to, you know, moving to New York City by myself. They're, they're really always been supportive. So there's no, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing that. There's none of that. It's none of that. My, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, so my little sister, who's also an attorney who started practicing a year ago, graduated, passed the bar. She's also considering um, opening a CBD company in North Carolina. 
that's number one. My mom, I have convinced to um, take CBD oil, and she's taking CBD oil. And I had to run my her. I'm like, you need some smoke, too. And she was like, ah. I was like, I didn't see you, but I smelled it. Yeah. So it's easy. It's really easy. Okay. You know, I mean, to you were easy because you said your, your parents, they both. Um, right. So I come adult. from, like, real chill parents. But they, I mean, they parented. But they didn't smoke in front of me. Um, okay. And I think another issue, too, with, you know, this plant and the stigma for black single women, I think one of the hardest things for black single women that are professional connoisseurs, especially those that are dealing with ACS, they make such a huge issue mm. Of the consumption by single black mothers, black yep. and brown, where they try to make it seem like you're unfit, you're yes. negligent if you are a professional connoisseur. Mm -hmm. And and these kids, usually and, there's and, nothing going on. And with them you see how I came out. Parents smoke weed. You know, and some of the best parents, you know, just for the wellness aspect, just to do with, you know, I'm a single parent, I got four or five kids, I need to be able to wind down from mindfulness this they're connoisseurs they're not doing it you know so egregiously that it is negligent or it's affecting their kids so if you can smoke with anybody one famous person now famous person <laughs> dead or alive who would you smoke with and what would you talk about I could smoke with anybody dead or alive <laughs> not famous famous whatever you want my father didn't smoke, so I didn't. If I could really actually smoke with somebody, I'd probably want to smoke with Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> if, just because. She, I mean, she is a pot. She's entertaining. She speaks her mind. And I know we would have some real conversations. No, I mean, she's in the not. industry. Hey. Right, right. So, Rihanna. Yeah. Okay. If I could smoke with anyone, um, it would be my late dad. Because he had that fire. <laughs> so it would be him and we had a really I'm, I continue he continues to be my angel but I would smoke with my dad then I would smoke with this girl called Medicated Marley from Nevada cause she's just so I mean homegirl has like the three bongs she has the shatter <laughs> she has the hash I don't want to get that hot, but she's to a, she's to a level of like no hot. tolerance. Yeah. Like, she, but I learned so much by following her, especially by honey about honey oil and hash about the different concentrates. Like the white people have taken it up uh, to uh, like they're mad scientists yeah. in this industry. Yeah. Black people too. Yeah, you know we just gotta find them. And then I would love to meet Harlan Branson. Okay. Yeah, the famous Harlan Branson from Harlem. If you look... Um, she's a musician? No, he is a well-known <laughs> underground. Mean, he, uh -huh. Underground. Um, he's your... Yeah, underground. Underground. He's like the Harlem legacy. And I would love to meet him. I mean, he, I think he was in... in the, the, the grass, grass is greener. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. yeah, but you didn't see him. Yeah, you saw yeah, a shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. That'll yes. be cool. That'll be cool. Yeah. Hey, shout out to you, brother, for keeping yeah. the hood alive, keeping the hood medicated. Yeah. You know, shout out to our bud tenders out there. Exactly. Uh, always. Shout out to Prostate Doctor 
for for yeah, I like him. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was in our last uh, uh, last show podcast. Um, yeah, um, Rob Tankson. Yeah, he's yeah. a great guy. So shout out to Bless yeah. the Doctor. He's a brother. Yeah, that's a uh, shout out to the brothers. You know. Yeah, um, and the sisters in the in the struggle. And if you have any piece of advice for our listeners who are interested in the industry, like what would be your most important advice that you would give them? I would say my most important. My most important piece of advice is know what you want to do in the industry. Come with a goal, come with a plan, but know what direction you want to go. Because if you're unsure and you're all over the place, it's really hard for us to focus and get a business plan, get pre-licensing, and get things going in a much faster direction. If you're coming in and you don't have an idea, you're like, oh, well, maybe I could do this. I know how to cook, so I would do this. But if you come in and say, I want to cook with edibles and I want to put THC and make some kind of THC infused item. Yeah. Boom, we have, a, we have a lane that we can go down and we have a specific, you know, we now know, okay, this is the licensing she's going to need. This is who we have to worry about. These are the agencies we're going to have to worry about because like, like people don't understand. You think about one thing, you're thinking about, like money, you're thinking about banking, you're thinking about SARS, you're thinking about the feds, you're thinking about those things. Now we have, you know, dispensary, we're thinking about the drama. Like, you have to pinpoint us to where you want to go. Because when you pinpoint us, we know, okay, this is the this is what you want to do, and this is the regulatory bodies that we have to deal with. Okay. I would say to deep dive into this industry read everything get the industry magazines yes they're free get involved go to these forums become a part of the cannabis and conversation cannabis conversations is happening guys read read um read a lot of these economic reports from the marijuana business um journal cannabis times online reports become familiar with the CSA, understand what quality control means, COAs, understand how you can, you know, transition using your intersectional skills in this industry. Do your SWOT analysis. What's your weakness? What, What are your strengths? How can you make an impact? And how can you not only make an impact, how can you go back into your own communities and bring people up? Yeah. I mean, sleep, eat. I I mean, I sleep, eat this industry. Like, I'm up four or five o'clock in the morning reading reports. That is a I, fact because <laughs> I get text messages at 2 and 3 a.m. about cannabis. Yes. So, she really does eat, breathe, and sleep. And you know, and I can appreciate that because... You always want to know that the persons you're dealing with, whether it's for licensing or for a product, knows what they're doing. They eat, they breathe, they sleep, they love this industry. Right. Right. It's a fact. She emails me. She texts me. Right. I do. I'm up at like four or five o'clock in the morning. Texting. I'm online. And and people need to understand knowledge is not power until it's applied. So that's important. 
And I, I'm going to networking events almost yes. two to three times a oh, month. I'm getting these free one-year subscriptions to all these industry magazines. I'm making contacts with, with people like you, Hector, that have similar you know, goals, interests yeah. and goals in this industry. I'm not only about the money um, and the potential to make money, but I'm about, you know, making sure social equity, black and, social and brown justice, right? increase their visibility in this industry. I want to have and educated that's why consumers. We're gonna have cannabis conversations. I want to have uh, educated conversations. Yeah, yeah educated, coming. you know, demographic of criminalized individuals that know this market that understand this market that are a part of this 80 billion dollar market that's going to hit 80 billion in 2025 i don't want us to be like the silicon valley and we missed out on that run now people need to understand it's nothing new about cannabis what's new is legal cannabis that's the new that's the new economy say that again Okay. It's nothing new about cannabis, the plant. What's new is legal cannabis. That means that this new cannabis industry, that's the new economy. Just like you would compare it to Silicon Valley and all these techies and apps. Right. That was the turn of the 2000s going into 2010, 2012, 2013. That I missed that boat. That we missed. Right. We missed the cryptocurrency yep, boat also. We haven't missed the cryptocurrency boat in the cannabis industry. Not in the cannabis industry, but, but I'm saying this. like the when cryptocurrency right. started, we missed that boat. This is a boat we cannot, should not, and could not miss. Bitcoin, we can't afford Bitcoin, to miss. Bitcoin was like... They were. Um, I remember when in, they were a dollar. Yeah. First of all, let me tell you what yes. I miss. I miss a that dollar. Tesla when Tesla was like three dollars a share, and I'm still kicking myself. That's what I'm saying. We've missed out so much, and we can't continue to miss out. We can't. This not. is not an industry we can miss out on because you know what? This industry is ours, and it's still exactly. and they're still gonna be putting us in jail because once it becomes legal, that's when they're really gonna crack down on the. Well, they're already the cracking market. down now because. The, We're seeing a um, lot of arrests. 121st precinct in Staten Island. Um, the 44th just, precinct in this, the Just this month alone had an uptick in the marijuana arrests. That's the Stapleton area. So they're still arresting the Bronx. I mean, the 44th precinct in the Bronx, they're breaking heads right now. Everywhere. Well, they don't want nobody they, in the street. search warrants for No, no. Yeah. They've been breaking heads not only for marijuana, but they is just rogue. They're I'm just, sorry. They rogue. Yeah. And, and, and I think... But let's not miss this boat, man. Let's not miss this boat. not to miss. Yeah. Right. We can't afford to miss it. All right, guys? All right. So thank you again. No, thank you guys so for good. listening. For and we have out. a new phone number. So if you want to get in contact with Michelle Phils... Um, my contact number is 718-400-6143, 718-400-6143, and that's the Mary Jane Consulting Group. And are you on social media? I am on, we're on Instagram at the Mary Jane Consulting Group on Instagram. We are just starting with it, so it's a process, it's slow, but we're getting up to, yeah. to providing more content we'll give more information about cannabis conversations but i just want to say this it's not going to be like these standard conversations and forums that we see where we have a panel and people come in and talk we're actually yeah talk at people 
we're actually going to have conversations. What do you want to know? What are some questions you have? What, you know, what do you feel like is a barrier? How do you feel about this? And then we're also going to inform them about the international developments and the national developments. So that's a little bit about what Cannabis Conversations is going to be. So look out for that Cannabis Conversation with the Mary Jane Group, Michelle Fields and Yannick Williams. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to say the Cannabis Conversations are going to take place in different neighborhoods. Yes. So from South Jamaica to Far Rockaway, Astoria, South Bronx. And I'm from the South Bronx. Right, South Bronx. So we're going to be gearing and, you know, up to bring those conversations in both of those boroughs. And you heard it here first in Blue Dream Radio. Hey, hey. So, <laughs> again, thank you for, to Yannick Williams and Michelle Fields for um, joining me today. Yes. Um, this is, again, they are going to be our chorus, lawyer correspondents to That's right. Blue Dream Radio. And they're going to give us all the information you need to know. Um, to be able to break through this industry that's trying to keep us out. We cannot let that shit happen. We got to break through and let's make this happen. Thank you again. Now, thank you. And I'll see you next week. And LG, too. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle and Unique. And thank you for listening. If you haven't done so already, take a moment to review us. Your reviews and ratings help us to get in front of new listeners and representation matters. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, or even want to sponsor us, hit us up on our email, radiobluedream at gmail.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Blue Dream Radio. Take care, y'all. Bye.